right, well, welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys, NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller, NetsPod at Gmail. Give us a rating on iTunes. Brian. Mike. Trade deadline pod. Did you hear the the, the pinging? The the, the the wires are hot. That's because all your sources are checking in with you to ask how yeah. Sean Marks is texting you right now to see how what we thought of. He's like, grade me. Grade me, Brandon Mike. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see Kevin Pelton's grade <laughs> of the Dante Cunningham Rashad Vaughn deal. That is the deal that we've been waiting for. Brian. Yeah. How are you doing? Good. So Rashad Vaughn's, uh, we were talking about his, his career was almost exactly as long as in between our last podcast and now. To, to like a very close degree. Yeah. Do you think that that's, there's we, something symbolic he, there? Or? He does not exist in, in the realm of our podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Played some key moments, some key minutes there in that uh, Houston game. He got an assist. Yeah. He will go down as the all-time Nets assist leader. <laughs> um, Brian, trade deadline, man. This is it. Wow. I mean, this is mostly going to be one of those news around the league pods where I have very little to say because, you know, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Can I reveal your knowledge of the Blake Griffin trade? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget, forget why, like how many hours it was. I think it was the day after. It was the day after the Blake Griffin trade went down yeah. against the Clippers. And I, 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 don't, I don't know why. We were talking about potting in some way. Yeah. I said, we'll have thoughts about Blake Griffin. And you're like, oh. Well, I just always assume that whenever someone says something like this, like, well, I missed a giant. This is not the first time this has happened to me. You can, you can understand. I, I do. Sometimes my, I turn my phone off and I just don't charge it for a full, like, 24 hours. I think that's a positive. Yeah, I mean. do that? Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know why. I was doing things. I was in the world. It was like, you know, you literally work run things. A podcast network yeah. that involves 25 sports podcasts, yeah. all of them basketball. Yeah. And the Blake Griffin trade went under your radar. You're operating <laughs> said, on such a high level. I own the prize, man. I own the prize. I can't be bothered with, with Blake Griffin's comings and goings. Um, no, so, that, was, that was embarrassing, though. I should have known. So we were sitting kind of getting ready for, you know, the trade deadline for the Nets could have gone so many different directions, right? It could have been a massive big deal where Dinwiddie's gone, Damari Carroll's gone, picks are coming back our way, young players are coming back our way. Or it could have went the way of which it did go which is that they essentially did nothing. And the move that they did make is a weird move. It's Rashad Vaughn, who I guess they don't care about. They obviously don't care about for Dante Cunningham, a 30-year-old on an expiring contract who does, you know, he can play power forward, which is nice. Maybe we get a little less of Quincy AC, but I don't think we really will. Um, they basically made a trade that you would make if you were in the playoffs and you were just making a minor end-of-the-bench move to get him. What's your impressions of Dante Cunningham? I have strong opinions about Dante. Oh, I Dante. love it. Um, no, just kidding. I've <clears throat> he's he's the the sort of defaultiest player in my mind that I can kind of come up with. Um, he's also thirty. You know, he's our age. Um, not to not to dox you, Mike. Sorry. So my my whole hot take on Dante Cunningham is that I don't know much about him, and I and I don't think it's important that I know much about him quite yet. He hasn't set the world on fire yet, Mike. Um, 30 years old. Well, I guess maybe 29, 30, whatever he is. Yeah. I think what it, it does indicate something about the Nets, right? The most clear indication of what Sean Marks is thinking about this team would have been a Damari trade. Dinwiddie would have been a major move. Dinwiddie, if they had moved him, I think only would have been for some kind of really big deal for a lottery pick of some kind, sending him to a team like the Magic, even though the Magic is, are in line for the first overall pick or something like that at this point. Dinwiddie would have been a major move. Huge departure, selling high. Damari is like kind of the obvious move because he's an expiring contract next year. He's played well this year. There's plenty of interest in him. And they didn't even do that. They they decided overall that, that this team is not going to be – it's not the process. It's yeah. the progress. Yeah. And they're deciding essentially we're not just going to make moves to make moves just to get that second-round pick or a late first-round pick. <clears throat> We value continuity. It shows some confidence. It shows some confidence in their ability to retain people that they think they can retain. You know, I think who were you talking to on Twitter? We were talking about the um, the Lou Williams contract, right? I think I was just tweeting generally out there into the world. I don't, yeah. I don't remember who it was. Um, and I think I was that active on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah, Probably were, too active. Oh, you think so? Yeah, because I, I think most people don't want too much from one source, right? Like you don't want. You don't want constant updates, which you can see on the line. You know, you kind of want people to drop in, drop out. But okay. Sure. 
Um, well, if you need me to tell you to rein it in, here's here's <laughs> me telling you. Um, yeah, and and so like, <clears throat> well, this is an interesting market. I don't know. I, I don't know really what to make of it, other than like I, I think they have some belief that everyone's saying the right things, like which everyone always does. But you know, it seems to be like you know, Damari Carroll and Spencer Dinwiddie have kind of like gone on record being like, we want to be with this team for the you know undefined future, um, and so you know eking out second round picks and and late first rounders or whatever wherever you can is is valuable but um there's this other sort of spiritual quantity that you have to that you have to appease you know you have to you don't you know you can't be ruthless at the co- at the expense of being ruthless um so yeah i mean like ultimately i'm happy like I, I would be kind of heartbroken if any of those guys went we're not winning games right now which is annoying um and it doesn't look very good i think everyone's having i don't, I don't know did you watch any of these last games yeah and every everyone's so crab had his first good game crab, in crab forever. when we talked about like the that 30 point game like he finally had it, the six threes 30 point game and it's funny from the nets account they tweeted out like a, a graphic image of Crab and Jared Allen after the Pistons game. Jared Allen's the first Nets rookie to go 10, 10, and 5 mm-hmm. in, I don't know how, 40 years, let's say. And I don't <laughs> know what. It, let's say that. That's probably not right. Um, and Crab is, you know, then they put up Crab's numbers. Not that that was historic, but for him on the Nets, it, it has to be his highest scoring game. Yeah. But everyone else is, is meh. You know what's more interesting? And, you know, we'll do trade deadline stuff later. But, um, like, I feel like D'Angelo needs to start because I think coming off the bench for him is worse at this moment, um, partly because, like, yeah, I can ease him in. But I think he's uncomfortable getting into the game late and kind of getting in and not having a clear rhythm because other guys are in the game and in rhythm for the most part. When he comes in, his rhythm's completely off. I want to see him start, actually. Mm-hmm. Put him next to Dinwiddie, but let him hold the ball and control the ball. Because I don't think he's comfortable coming off the bench. He doesn't look comfortable. He looks like he's thinking about how he's supposed to be playing rather than just playing at this point. He doesn't, I don't know. I, I just think like starting, if you start a guy, you almost don't give him time to think. They're just in the moment. And they're playing against really good players. And they're focused on, I'm the starter. I'm going to play right now. As opposed to coming off the bench where he's thinking about, oh, I got to accomplish these three things. He doesn't look good out there at the moment. He's had some okay games, but... Hot takes. Hot takes. There you go. Hot takes. No, I think I agree with you. Um, I'm a little. Are, are you worried about him yet? I'm not worried about D'Angelo. What's interesting is that like, so we were worried about him coming over from the Lakers that he may be a bad vibes dude, mm-hmm. and so far he's been good vibes. Totally happy. Great teammate. Smiles. Claps it up. No. Great Instagram vibes. feed. Totally. He has dogs. I don't know if you've seen it. He has two dogs or something. Didn't see. I'm a big fan of dogs, um, but. I wonder if he will eventually hit a breaking point by being a bench player. I'm not saying he will. I just do think that like he probably views himself as one of the better young players in the league and him coming off the bench if this continues for the rest of the season. No, can't be for the rest of the season. I don't think it will be either. I think pretty quickly, but I don't know who's good, who's a better player than him. Is Dinwiddie better than him right now? Yes. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. it's not exactly on equal footing, right? Because Dinwiddie, I mean, he's coming off an injury. There's a whole right, so you who know, would, other narrative there. I, I I would start him and him and Dinwiddie together and move Crab to the bench. But if you move Crab to the bench, he gets like shattered. Hmm. He he exhibits more frustration on the court. Alan Crab does hmm. than any other player on the Nets. In ter- like you can feel the weight of his contract on his shoulders every time he misses a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and last night was like the first time against the Detroit game that it mattered. But. Do you think the dam is, is broke? you think he's like going to be a normal human again? No. He, no. No. He's, yeah. No, because he isn't good enough right now. He just isn't. He hasn't been good enough. And I think he's just missing one other skill. He just needs one to add on one extra other thing. I mean, people are so, so like when we were talking to uh, our friend Chris Axman, he often talks about like don't make people do things that they're not good at as like a general sort of basketball philosophy. And well, I think that there's room for that when when put into different situations where you have to adapt. You know, like this, like he he can't just be the beneficiary. And even when he is, he's just not making open shots. So like, how do you explain for that? I don't know. Like, right. is it is it is it the actual 
sort of mental burden of the finances that that's getting to him like that i don't know if uh, you know that's just pure speculation of course but something's obviously changed some some uh like whether it's mechanical or it's you know metaphysical like something has changed well and like it's sort of the the three-point shot is the most thought play possible right it is the way he sets up on offense, he's moving around picks and he's coming around. And then if he gets open, I think immediately what starts clicking through his head is like, oh, I'm open. The ball will get to me. I better freaking hit this shot because if I don't, um, everyone's going to be like on Twitter. Everyone's going to be like, Alan Crabb sucks. Why did we make mm-hmm. this deal? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm projecting on top of him because that's what I'm thinking every time he's open. But you can see physically when he misses, there's a look on his face like, what's wrong with me? Um, do, do you think Nets Twitter pops off enough that the players are seeing it? Because I remember I was, th- I was listening to Paul Pierce talk about how when he was with the Wiz that they in halftime would all go hop on Twitter and, and like check out and see what the... Is that right? That's what he said, which I don't believe him. I honestly don't believe him. I think that that's just like a grumpy um, like Gen Xer, just like <laughs> he doesn't really understand doesn't Twitter. Paul Pierce seems so old, even yeah. though he's he's probably like, what, six years older than... I, mean, I don't even know how yeah, old he is. But, yeah, 38 or something. Um, I think... Okay, so what's well, here's what you can say about Alan Crabb to try to give you some optimism if you're a Nets fan. Look at what happened from Joe Johnson last year to this year. Uh, Ronnie House Jeff- Jefferson from this year to last year. Jared Allen every single game. Spencer Dinwiddie last year to this year. Just like tremendous progression under Kenny Atkinson. So the hope is that while he's not great right now, Alan Crabb, he will progress to a point where next season we're like, look at Alan Crabb. Looking pretty awesome. Thank gosh we have him. But again, I want to say the more that we get further away from this, the trade that happened with Portland, the more insane it was that they did not extract another asset from the Trailblazers in some way. Teams have, were so desperate this deadline to shed payroll. And the Nets had the opportunity, if they had not made the Allen Crab trade, to have been in all of these trades that have happened to be that third party to take on assets take on not assets, but take on bad contracts to then get assets. Mm-hmm. And by making the Allen Crab trade, and we said this at the time, that you, when you do the Allen Crab trade, that pulls you out of that race for the most part. And it's insane that they took on a guy who's making $19 million a year and not, not really getting anything back. Yes, they got rid of Andrew Nicholson, but that that's not enough of an asset to give away or enough of a bad contract to give away do you think and this is just a big ideological conversation that we won't actually have real answers for but do you think that the value of let's say a second round pick is actually growing as time goes on as as teams get smarter about systems based basketball and development psychology so on and so forth is a second round pick slowly gaining value you know just by virtue of people being smarter about how to like you know nurture a player in in all those kinds of ways, and like, I was just reading Terry Pluto's loose balls, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they're talking about guys playing in like the a- ABA in the seventies, and they'll approach a player who's like selling insurance. He's like twenty or something, <laughs> or like twenty five, and be like, "You want to play basketball? Like you're pretty good." And that's how that's like how they did recruiting, yes. yeah. <laughs> like you know, thirty forty years like ago. All yeah. all like now, like former the profession everyone does before they become a basketball player professionally was insurance salesman. Yeah, that was like <laughs> yeah. that was for some reason everyone who leaves basketball in college yeah. goes into insurance. Yeah, and then they get plucked out of, or they're like in a grocery store packing groceries. That's yeah. another popular one. That is a big one. That John Starks, the John Starks yeah. model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only one. But the, yeah. that's the guy I think of. Um, do I think second round picks are more valuable now? We're just like, in general, are it, are they valued highly or? Yes, highly. Uh, no, you know what I mean though. Like, do you think yes. like yeah? So like, I, I feel like in the last five years specifically, the NBA has like made a pretty big pivot towards like, um, and and this is going to be just wrought with finger giant finger quotes Spurs kind of basketball right where you're paying playing a systems based sort of recruitment and and you know actual gameplay whatever you're you're the 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 meta game is is as as important as the actual game um and so ipso facto you know the like non player assets should be more valued right so it's a weird thing i think they're both more valued and they're overvalued now and they're more and they should be more valued partly because you have the G League. So the fact that there's there is a minor league system, it makes sense. Do you see Milton 
Doyle in the in the G League had like forty one like know, ten man. and ten or something. And I want to like how, how he, what is going on in the G League where like, Milton Doyle well, can go like, down there and drop that and then he comes up for a night and he's like Isaiah Whitehead's the James Harden of the G League. Yeah. Every time he goes down, <laughs> yeah. he's averaging like across the board in the same numbers. I remember and and uh, like Toko Shangalia used to go down and just wreck <laughs> for the afternoon. <laughs> There's always one big man who has like twelve blocks a game and yeah. twelve rebounds and like two points. Like they'll just decide like I'm not scoring this game. What is going on down there? I know. I think we need to dig deeper. I really, we need to get, there's got to be a G League podcast out there somewhere that hit, hit us up. Put somebody point us in the direction of some G League experts. Like if you're averaging five points in the G League, maybe it's time to give it up. It's like averaging 200, you know, a 200 batting average in single leg. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to hang it up. Yeah. Um, I think so. The G League makes second round picks more valuable because then that can, you can put those second round picks in a position where they're playing basketball constantly and then they're growing at a rate where previously they wouldn't have no room for growth beyond shooting around in practice, which is what they do. But they're also way overrated. I mean, the fact that, like, so we saw Tyreek Evans was getting offered for second-round picks for him. We, we're from the school of kind of like, do you remember five years ago, a late first-round pick was nothing. They were thrown away for, like, yes. Was, yeah. A schmata. Schmata mm. is like a, a, a dirty rag. They mm. were like sh- they were schmata picks. No one no one cared about them. Mm-hmm. They didn't matter. They were they were, you just throw them out. You just put oh here's three first round picks at the end of the first round. Just have them. Yeah. Take them. Now first round picks are are being held so closely. I think it's gone the wrong way. I think teams should have at the who are in the playoffs or facing the playoffs should have been giving around their first round picks for a guy like Damari Carroll. A guy who can control for the next season as well. A guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. Control him for another season as well. They're just... I, I, we're overvaluing the draft a little bit too much at this point. Well, it's hard to say, like... I mean, well, so... It's it's kind of hard to overstate how much the forty five percent increase in the CBA and uh, salary cap like really affected all of this stuff, right? Like because going into this next free agency period, like you were saying in your Twitter thing, you know, um, the the money's dried up. And the money is dried up because it's being spent seventy million dollars after being spent on players like Alan Crabb. Um, so, so with that in mind, like going forward, the the way that we're like, so I've always thought about the like the best system for this would be a slightly more laissez faire version of it. Where the salary cap is just for the team, and it's not based on a player to player thing, right? Uh, and that way, you just have like whatever it is hundred, let's say hundred million dollars uh, on a on a for the year. You could pay LeBron James the, the entirety of that. And then have like minimum guys, or whatever. After that, right? Um, and which, which LeBron James would love, right? LeBron. So like players that have that kind of caveat, or like, and it would just make it interesting in like in free agency because then you know Steph Curry doesn't just auto get offered the max, and that's like a you know but a layup if he gets the opportunity to get you know ninety million in Charlotte or whatever it is that's worth considering versus you know thirty million in, in Golden State, um, theoretically, of course. Um, but anyways, that brings me back to the, the whole point about like, I, I'm not sure how to value any of these things going forward. It's all a little bit up in the air because, because the CBA really did change things. Like they, that was a pretty, like it was an atomic bomb. They dropped on the administrative side of basketball and we're still kind of feeling the, the fallout from that. So I think maybe it's going to zag back to like, well, for me personally, to valuing picks a little bit higher. We were very low on picks, as everyone was in 2013, when we were firing them off like out of a t-shirt cannon at people. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, we're we're getting we're digressing now into something that's not important. Yeah. Let's get back to trade stuff. So trade deadline for the Nets. My overall like takeaway is again, the Nets made the decision that we're not going to make trades just to make trades. We are going to be an organization. This is a very clear thing what they did. They're going to be an organization that will only make a deal if they think their overall goal of being a great franchise, if that accomplishes that goal, okay? It's not just to get better. Like, they could have made a Damari Carroll trade. They probably could have got a first-round pick for him in some way, whether it's to trade Damari, take back a bad contract, and then getting a first-round pick for taking back that bad contract and trading Damari. They decided not to do it. They decided not to make that type of deal because... Overall, they'd rather be a great franchise than a great or a better team at the moment. You know, I mm-hmm. think the, oh, they want to be Spurs East. If you want to be Spurs East, you're not going to be the Sixers. The Sixers are, while successful, they have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. 
They are a joke of a franchise. Oh, wow. Shots fired. Their, their first overall pick is a disaster. Noel, uh, Nerlens Noel was a disaster, and he was gone. Michael Carter-Williams was a disaster after winning Rookie of the Year, and he's gone. They've had guys moving in and out. J.J. Redick won't be on that team next year, and he's on this team now. Um, yeah, they re-signed Robert Covington. Fine. Like, they've made some okay moves, but if you're um, out... So, like, people like to... There's a thing among Sixers fans. I don't know if you've seen this, but they believe that they have a shot at LeBron because mm. they're going to have the cap space. They're going to be able to create enough cap space this offseason to sign LeBron, and their pitch is like, well, you have to play with Embiid and Simmons, and we do have Markel Fultz. We could trade Markel Fultz in the way that uh, the Cavs did to get Kevin Love. You know, but you but you can't. But you can't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, LeBron isn't going to move to Philadelphia to play for a franchise that has shown that their um, you know their medical staff's pretty terrible for what happened to Markel Fultz. That Embiid's gotten hurt. Simmons has gotten hurt under their watch. That there's constant amount of like unclear of who's exactly running the show there all the time. The, the Nets have made the decision that we're going to respect the players we have on our team mm-hmm. and, and are not going to trade them just to get second-round picks. I hope they re-sign Joe, Joe Harris now. Um, I think also, like, I don't know if you saw the Howard Beck tweet. Howard Beck tweeted during the trade deadline that um, I'm hearing there's talk about Nets making a trade to trade away Damari Carroll, mm-hmm. but that Kenny Atkinson, jokingly, he said Kenny Atkinson would quit a source told him Kenny Atkinson would quit if that was the case because he so loves him essentially mm-hmm. on the team. That I think that tweet matters more and is more of a reflection about the Nets and where they're going than anything else. It's the fact that they did not make this trade, I believe, or make a trade for Damari Carroll to send him away for some kind of future asset because they're like, you know what? If we're going to build these young guys, it's probably more beneficial to have our favorite argument, more beneficial to have a veteran guiding young guys than having another 19 year old just thrown into the mix who who could be jared allen or he could be some crappy player like rashad vaughn in the <laughs> shots mm-hmm. fired rashad vaughn but suck on that rashad no just kidding oh wait. so to to that point um just wanted to point out uh your boy sean Goodfriend, a good friend of the show <laughs> michael a good a great friend of the show uh <laughs> he emailed us, says, uh, just what uh, he will, where did he email us at netspot at gmail.com, of course. You're such a pro. Um, just want to put it out there that Jared Allen's per 36 as a starter could be all-star worthy. I do recognize the small sample size. Do you see that in his future? How far down the line? Um, so this is just piggybacking off of Jared Allen's been kind of breaking out a little bit, Mike. Um, Absolutely. Mm, are we seeing an all-star caliber player inside of that that boyish body? That sweet young man. No. Do, do you okay? So he he Jared Allen himself brought this comparison that he wants to be the next Clint Capella. Is Clint Capella an all-star in the NBA? Uh, probably not. Like that would be how bad the center position is—a guy who can just dunk the ball mm-hmm. at an incredibly high efficiency rate. But Jared Allen's shown us a little more than what Clint Capella is. I mean, he had five assists this past game. The Detroit game, he was making... The fact is, is that I appreciate, and I think most basketball fans appreciate, when a guy not only does what's expected, but then does that next step. Mm. Jared Allen is consistently mm. this month, well, in January and February, has made the next step play. Uh, not like just dunking the ball up for alley-oops. He's waited. He's shown patience. Like, multiple times in the Detroit game... He got the ball, downloaded the post, and if it was earlier in the season, he would have went right up with it and got blocked or missed the shot. He takes a step, waits, dribbles, puts it right up. Um, he, he, I don't know if he's an all-star, but he's a huge success already. Like I, I think it's like, what is he, 19 years old? 19 years old. Um, I feel pretty good about a lot of different things. Like I, I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to hold off on commenting wildly about his you know, his Tim Duncan potential or whatever that is. Uh, not a good comparison, obviously. But yeah, because hey, Jared talking... Allen is better than Tim Duncan. Right. better hair. Um, <clears throat> but there's a lot of interesting, um, like, skills in there that you don't really see. I mean, he's occasionally hits a three. He, in the last 15 games, has shot, like, 90% from the free throw line. He's, like, um, I don't know what. He gets six assists randomly in a, in a night. That's, that's not a 19-year-old 
sort of what you would normally term as like an unskilled center kind of behavior. You know, that suggests more in the Anthony Davis style kind of center. I mean, like, let's be honest here. Let's call it like we see it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just gonna, I, I, don't get right. I love that. I just love that over exuberant. You were acting like he's not Tim Duncan. You're like, yeah. well, no, he's Anthony Davis, though. Slightly different, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, like, yeah, there's, um, it's hard to qualify, obviously. We're, it's very early on, but it's hard not to be ex- excited about the potential there because he does do so many weirdly successful things. And he's already shown enough to think that he's not Miles Plumley. Restraint is also a giant skill of his. He he always he never goes right back up with it like a you know like so many centers do. He very rarely does the thing where he brings the ball down and gets it swiped. Shows a lot of restraint, which is like Spinarkles. I don't know. Spinarkle brings that up every time a big man puts the ball down low. Spinarkles like, well, he brought it down low. There there you go. There you go. What you deserve. (laughs) Which is friend of the pod by the way. Classic. um, You know, anyone that's played AAU knows knows all about that. Well, there was a play last night against against Detroit. So that was my. That was funny. That was the Amazon Fire rejecting us um, against Detroit. Where I forget, I think like Dinwiddie got him the ball around the free throw line, and it looked like he almost had an avenue to go to the hoop. But then someone came right in front of him, so he literally stopped. He turned around and found Joe Harris right behind him, wide open on the three point line. Joe, mm. Joe Harris hit a three. That's an unusual play for a center. It's usual for a forward or someone else who's used to having the ball in their hands. Jared Allen has probably dribbled the ball. I don't know. Let's say. 120 times this season mm-hmm. <laughs> basically but over under let's let's i wonder if we can find this out somebody out there in right. twitter land yeah. yeah but i'm gonna say under i'm gonna say under so like but he is and and that limits you right that, that that's less experience you have handling the ball but he's making he's making pretty significant plays and while everyone on nets twitter is in love with jared allen it's still underreported how good he's been as a rookie like so there's that weird there's the weird rising stars game Right, mm-hmm. the, the rosters that came out, and I think like Joel Embiid's on that, right? And Joel Embiid, I guess, is a second-year player, even though well, they're doing centers versus guards, right? Isn't that the thing? What? Oh no, that's not the Rising Stars. That's the Skills Challenge. That's the Skills Challenge. But Joel Embiid's on the Rising Stars Challenge because they don't count his rookie year because he didn't play, and he played last year. Last year was his rookie year. Uh, now, but. Jared Allen deserved a spot on that team. If we're not doing the weird redshirt season that both of the Sixers, the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, Jared Allen is on there. If you if you did a redraft of the NBA draft, Jared Allen is back in the lottery where he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Easily. There's no que- like so we saw Luke Kennard, right? Luke Kennard is is a sort of a famous pick already at this point because he was taken before Donovan Mitchell. But also, not that Detroit would want Jared Allen, but wouldn't you rather have Jared Allen than Luke Kennard? What did you see? All I saw out of him was celebrating on the bench. Mm. I didn't see him play and play well last night. Speaking of celebrating on the bench, we're, we're now down. So our whole take on Rashad Vaughn was going to be that he was. We needed a a an actual a dancer celebrator on the bench. Um, hey, by the way, did you see Jeremy Lin? <laughs> made a, made a, a couple of appearances on the bench. Do you think that that was a direct response to our podcast where we started calling calling? <laughs> yeah, I think people were his number. Yeah. Why was it? So what game was that? The, when he was on the bench, there was some Milwaukee reason, maybe. I don't know. Was I it forget. the Lakers? Right. Lakers. Yeah. Yes. And there was a direct. I think. I don't know if it was some kind of heritage night. There was some reason why he was. I think it mostly. Was, well, it was it was back to back games. It was two games, right? And I think it mostly was because it was the Lakers, and he wants to be seen on the bench. Against the Lakers, that's I, kind of. I really like, like his his dreadlocks. I don't know. I don't know why everyone's giving him such a hard time for it. I think Jeremy Lin. Yeah, yeah. They great look, look. They look appropriately like you know. I don't know. It, it works. It's a solid look. Yeah. Anyways. Um. Overall trade deadline thoughts. Are you happy that guys are gone or staying? Well, we, I mean, we didn't get to the big Cavs stuff. Um, well, we got that coming up. Yeah. Oh, we got that coming up. Um, I'm happy. Um, yeah, of course. Like as a person with. A podcast, I'm not happy, you know, because it'd be a lot easier to <laughs> yeah. to talk. But um, as a as a human being and and a person that likes Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and Demar Carroll, yeah, of course, I'm happy happy that they're going to stick around and hopefully for the long term, you know, um, if they sign to reasonable contracts and don't gouge us like the monsters they could be turning out to be. Who, who knows? <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Well, and the, so that's the secondary thing, right? Is that then do they sign Joe Harris? Is that an indication that they're bullish on signing Joe Harris? I wonder. So you, we kind of talked about the Lou Williams contract. I wonder if they, if even the Nets, obviously they know more than we do about who may be getting money next offseason. 
Lou Williams signed for about seven, eight million dollars a year, right? Lou Williams is just below being an all star this season. And he signed for that much money. Joe Harris may not be getting a ton of money next season. If he signed for five to six million a year, which which is not that far off from Lou Williams, that's a good contract. That's like a great contract right now with at the level the cap is at. Yeah. That would be five percent of the cap, which is nothing for someone who you know, at the end of the Detroit game, he was showing that he could drive to the hoop. He's always shown he could drive to the hoop this season, and he's a more reliable shooter than Alan Crabb is. Yeah, and it seems like a kind of guy that is, is if he's going to sign anywhere, it's sort of implicitly to, to play a fair amount of basketball. So, you know, t- taking, a, taking a pay cut to play for a good team is not certainly, you know, something probably not on his radar or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're still in the best position to sign him if, if that's the case. I, I was kind of waiting for like a Spencer Dinwiddie deal. I'm not gonna. I I believe that they will trade him. I still believe, oh. ultimately, because it's the D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie. Can they all play together? If they're all playing together and you're all paying them, then what kind of team do you have? Mm-hmm. Dilemma. I still think. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he will have value this off season, but he'll have less value than he has right now. I just wonder. What Marx is thinking, I would love to talk to him and find out exactly what he is thinking. Hot takes. Hot takes galore. Um, let's do a break. Then we're going to come back. And then we'll do News Around the League, which is just basically talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. It's the news. All right, go, go. All right, News Around the League here. Uh, by the way, we still so I, I set up a, a tweet deck uh, like news page. So I, I followed Shams, Woj, and Mark Stein. Oh, look at you, Mike, setting up a deck. And I see here, right here, Shams is saying uh, the Kings are waving center Georgios Papagianis, um, who was the number thirteen overall selection in the 2016 draft. So the things are still happening while we are discussing this. But obviously, the Cavs made seismic. Franchise changing deals. What's the what's the report on Larry Nance Jr.? Do people like him still, or nobody likes him anymore? What's so it's like this whole weird thing because I love him because yeah. he dunks, yeah, and he's athletic and he's allegedly a great teammate. <clears throat> but it's the whole non three point shooter thing. It's every guy who mm. doesn't shoot a three, like Blake Griffin, down to Larry Nance Jr. If you don't shoot threes, you don't have value. Blake doesn't now. He's just you know he's just not great at it. Yeah, he like he. He shot a bunch of them. He actually shot a ton against the Nets in the Pistons game. He wants, I think he wants that to be his new thing. All right. So the big team in this whole trade deadline were the Cavs. The Cavs completely altered their roster. They got Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, Rodney Hood, George Hill. Got rid of Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder, Derrick Rose gone, Channing Frye, Isaiah Thomas gone, and their own first-round pick. Their own first-round pick was traded, meaning that they could not then trade the Brooklyn pick. Mm-hmm. Um First, so this is from Freezing Cold Takes on Twitter, mm. okay? After Isaiah was traded, here were the, in terms of his opinion, the most frequently used jokes. Pierce gets jersey night to himself, referencing Paul Pierce. You know, he was butthurt all over the fact that he would have to share his jersey retirement night with Isaiah's homecoming. Mm. Now it's all to Paul Pierce. Live look at the Cavs and Isaiah, and it's the Fresh Prince jazz thrown out of the mansion gif. Uh, Isaiah probably won't get the tribute video in Cleveland. Another common tweet we saw. Mm-hmm. LeBron knocked IT out of the playoffs twice in nine months now that he's been traded. And finally, LeVar to Isaiah, you're you're a small baller, not a big baller. Mm. Uh, a lot of jokes on Twitter about Isaiah being sent away. The interesting part, obviously, about this trade is that the Cavs do get better, make a ton of moves, but then they, you're basically giving the Lakers all this room to make this big deal. What was your feeling about all the things the Cavs did, Brian? Does it suggest to you, as everyone's suggesting, that they're kind of admitting defeat on retaining LeBron going forward, or is that uh, too hot a take? Is is this a a like you could construe this as a uh, you know a, a, so a roundabout way of of making this place more intriguing for him? Well, what's interesting is that it it does both in the exact same way that the Boston Isaiah Thomas trade did. It does both in the fact that. 
we knew that Cleveland wanted to get contracts on their books from that are signed by younger players that they can retain for multiple years. They wanted to do that because they want to maintain some control over players. So they did that. They got Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance. They control him for a couple of seasons. George Hill, which I don't think anyone wants to control for a couple of seasons, but for some reason they made that move because it makes the move now. Brian Windhorst said that they made these moves believing that this makes LeBron more likely to want to stay with the team. Mm-hmm. Partly because he allegedly does not like Isaiah Thomas. Um, but then it operates in the other sense. I think that's what was so sort of interesting about what the Cavs did. You could make an argument either way. You could make an argument that it makes LeBron more likely to leave because they basically gave the Lakers a shot at, at signing LeBron and now Paul George. Mm-hmm. That's what they just did. But they also made it more appealing for LeBron to stay because now their team is better. It's unquestionably better. I mean, Jay Crowder sucked this year. Amon Shumpert, I don't, I don't, I don't have a memory of him playing basketball this season. I don't remember him. Has he played this year? Is he hurt? Um, I guess I don't either. I don't even know. So they got guys who are serviceable to very good um, for guys who are who are non-factors completely. I mean, but what's interesting is that so they're all very similar players. It's an interesting they've they've hit on a, a like an archetype that they want here, the the combo guard distributor, not not distributor. I don't. I've never liked Rodney Hood's game. Um, I know that people are like somewhat high on him. I think those people are people that just look at his his like box score stats. Yeah, they see that he shoots kind of well from three. Yeah, they see his size, but if you watch Rodney Hood play basketball, you're not that impressed and i've been monitoring george hill pretty closely too for fantasy reasons and like don't want anything to do with him i mean i understand that it's like a totally different situation um but like i'm not i'm not sure about like that this moves the needle really you know in terms of these are all guys that have had success at one point or another but is george hill like a i don't know is he coveted is he a coveted player right now he's kind of fallen off a cliff this season George Hill's the idea like the idea of George Hill is better than the actuality of George Hill. The idea yes. of George Hill is that he can be an off the ball point guard uh, yes. who plays defense and can shoot threes when he's open. I think like the sort of platonic ideal of what that guy is like Monte Ellis. Like the Monte Ellis George Hill model of of like guy who can spontaneously have like um, like a season where he averages like nine assists, like for some unknown reason, it just like happened. You have to just like catch him on an off year and it happens. But then all the other years, it's just like, he's all over the place. Um, so I don't, I don't really understand like inconsistent guard. Like Tyreek Evans kind of falls into this group of just like, what is he going to be good Tyreek or bad Tyreek this year? Who knows? Yeah. Um, and I feel that way about George. So maybe it is just like, he just needs like, it's a special combination that makes him suddenly, you know, it's the full moon and he's out again, back in George Hill mode. Well, and he makes sense next to LeBron. I mean, I get that. Again, the off the off ball point guard type. But I think the important thing is I I tweet this out at BK Glue guys. The Cavs don't practice. They don't practice. It just doesn't happen. They don't get together, run plays, decide to build sort of a overall framework for their team in practice. They let everything happen on the court. That's why their defense has been so bad this year. And if you don't practice it is hard in February to incorporate four or five new players. I'm not even sure how many is now on the team. So, like, yes, these guys are better than the guys that they had before, but these guys aren't going to practice together. They're just going to let them play basketball the next 35 games of the year. There's an all-star break in between where half of them aren't even going to – they're not all going to be together. They're not all practicing during the all-star break. They're going to be a mess, kind of. They'll be better, but they'll still be a mess. Um, and Isaiah, so you go, like, let's go down the point guard ladder a little bit, okay? They started with Kyrie to begin this year, to, the, before the season began. They traded for Isaiah, who, when Isaiah was healthy last year, was on the level of Kyrie. He was a better scorer, but you'd rather have Kyrie. So then let's say they just moved down a ladder with Isaiah. Now they're going to George Hill. So they're essentially the jump is from Kyrie to George Hill, which is just so big. Mm-hmm. It's the classic. Uh, they traded a dollar for 70 cents. And mm-hmm. then they turned that 70 cents. Isaiah Thomas being the 70 cents into 55 cents, you know? And so it's massive diminishing returns from what they had in Kyrie. 
and now they're just like left with a, a, a fine team. So this this kind of goes into like sort of the the actual value in uh, sort of watering the garden of your of your infrastructure of your franchise in in the ways that the Nets are doing. Right, the the Cleveland Cavaliers have lucked into this sort of symbiosis with LeBron James, and that's nothing other than that. The the actual garden itself has always been bad and and poorly maintained and they've just been going on like feast and famine runs with basically due to the like comings and goings of this one guy who's just have this special bond with the place but once now that they have it now that they have the special important thing the you know the garden's trashed it's it's the roots are all rotted out there's nothing you can't you can only do it for for this like very small period of time because the real you know the things that you have to do on a daily basis to keep the franchise in like proper working order they're not there and so this is like even if we want it to be good right now or tomorrow or whatever as the nets like i don't know that they necessarily would want to be for like not like for like you know using cleveland's sort of hyperbolic example but there's something to be said there for um you know like you can't just you don't want to just be good right now like that like for the nets from the nets perspective you don't want to just turn it on and get lebron james or whatever in in free agency which is not something that you can even do but hypothetically speaking because we're not there yet we're just not there yet culturally everything's still you know sod we got a we got a we got a lot of work to do so it's just like it's it's interesting to be to like sort of be seeing how things fall apart when when like the the infrastructure is just not stable yeah and it it, and it's because of lebron right like he doesn't allow that it's it's the only reason that we even care about it is because of lebron right like it would be happening despite him but like they the only reason that they're good is because lebron has this like outside of basketball connection to the city for and he was drafted there and that's it well and like even at the time kevin love helped them win a a championship that in the trade if like let's say the the whole point of what i'm about to say here is that even at the time i don't think they should have traded for kevin love and they should have kept andrew wiggins i don't like andrew wiggins now like if Mm -hmm. the nets had gotten andrew wiggins if they give him a max contract that type of deal or whatever I would be against it. But the franchise long-term thinking point of view when LeBron came back to Cleveland was you actually probably should keep the number one overall pick, get Andrew Wiggins, put him with Kyrie, and then let them grow with LeBron. But what they did was immediately, what you're saying, is sort of tear up some roots Mm -hmm. so that they could have a prettier garden immediately. Mm -hmm. And they just keep tearing up roots, and then all that's left is this one beautiful orange tree because let's say lebron is an orange tree but Mm. everything else is a disaster Mm -hmm. and what they just did by bringing in these other guys is like beautify the place a little bit yeah but it will still suck the life out of the rest of cleveland they're gonna pay george hill 20 million dollars next year Mm -hmm. jordan clarkson's fine i've actually always kind of liked jordan clarkson yeah that's the one guy who's like i i you know i I still see some upside and like it's an intriguing player like that's that people ostensibly want to play with and and I, I I wish the Nets could have gotten Larry Nance Jr. some way, but Larry Nance Jr. was added to that deal, the Jordan Clarkson deal, mm-hmm. because um, the that was like the sweetener on top to take Jordan Clarkson's contract, which is not even that bad. It's like twelve million dollars a year. You been watching this Hart kid on, on LA? Yeah, and I think he's he's good because he's kind of a classic Spurs draft pick, where he's a four year player, captain. Mm-hmm. Um, Got good size, and you know he's like he has all the particulars of what you want. <laughs> the, way, the way you say that, got good size. Yeah, yeah, it's just like it's it's what the Spurs do. The Spurs get players like that, the overlooked college player who's on a really good team. Yeah. Um. So okay, hot takes, grades, grade them, grade them all. Just kidding. I mean, do you like it for the Cavs? Do you think it'll make them better or worse? Well, what do you think? Like, if you're LeBron, it's good. You want to clear the house. I mean, like it seems like. Have you seen, by the way, people calling the Timberwolves the Timberbulls on on Twitter? Have you seen that before? Now that Derrick Rose may go back there. Why would they want Derrick Rose? I honestly don't. Jeff Teague's going to come back at some point, right? I don't know. I'm I'm not plugged into the Timberwolves. Tyus Jones. What? Just just Derrick. I I feel like Tom Thibodeau, if he has any respect left in his life, cannot sign. Derrick Rose cannot play basketball anymore. Yeah. Just can't. Can't happen. It's just the player. Like It also doesn't seem like, you know, of all the people that, like, gravitate towards Tibbs, the, the, the Todd Gibsons and Jimmy Butlers, they have sort of a Sisyphean approach to basketball. You know, like, they, um, 
they like the the like masochism that comes with like you know working with with Tibbs. Yes, I don't see that from Derrick Rose. Not anymore. He took <laughs> two that. weeks off yeah. from a team that doesn't practice. Yeah. So all you have to do if you're a Cap- Cleveland Cavalier is to show up on game days. That's all they have to do. They don't practice. Maybe they show up and shoot around shots on off days. Mm-hmm. That's all they do. He's going to go to Minnesota and play. 28 minutes, 30 minutes a game. It's grinding out W's over there. Um, again, and this is the obvious point, is that this all these Cavs trades make it easier for the Lakers to sign two max contract players. And if I'm LeBron, I still don't want to go to L.A. The only reason why I want to go is because I own two houses there, and it's the Lakers. If I'm trying to beat Michael Jordan and be the greatest player of all time, I don't go to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Even if I can play with Paul George, because what is Paul George and LeBron, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram better than, you know, what the Warriors have to offer? Is Houston the most tempting situation? Houston's the most interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And LeBron, I could see LeBron and uh, James Harden be playing really well together, but you can't have LeBron, James Harden and Chris Paul unless someone takes a big haircut. And you can't have Ryan Anderson on that roster. Ryan Anderson who would still be on that roster, would have to get traded. You don't You don't think LeBron can, can bosh it that year? I feel like LeBron will be bosh that year. What? If he, of in the, terms of like on the court or on, in terms of money? Um, In terms of on the court. Like, I think I he's, don't think you don't think, I don't think he's think the LeBron guy. LeBron has a bosh gene in his body. <laughs> LeBron has to be LeBron always. I think James Harden it can oscillate. What's going to be? Is it going to be thirty three? You don't think it might be as finally as like I might, might take my start my Bosch years? Because what LeBron's aiming at is to be the greatest player of all time. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be um, sort of late period Carl Malone, late like you know, if he's going to he's late period, he's a Renaissance painter. You know, <laughs> yeah. if he's going to downgrade three notches and be a third option on a team or a sec, even a second option on the team. You're not Michael Jordan anymore. You're not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, mm-hmm. you know, or whoever. You, Will Chamberlain. Yeah. You're not. You're not one of the greatest. Then everything else you win for the rest of your career doesn't matter. It doesn't because you just. What happened to Dwayne Wade? He won championships, and he mattered at least in the first championships he won with LeBron. I mean, he won one obviously before, and then won one with. Um, but we don't view him anymore as. A competitor to LeBron. We view him as a second banana to LeBron. I don't think LeBron mm. wants to be second banana ever in his life. Mm-hmm. Unless if he plays with his son in like six years. Which, did you hear that, by the way? Do you know this? Brian Windhorst says that LeBron is motivated to play with Bronny Jr. Bronny Jr. is an eighth grader right now. So that means that he would have to play basketball for t- at least ten more years. Before he could play with his, well, no, six no. more years. Yeah. Six more years with his son. What are you, 14 in eighth grade? So, well, yeah, but you just go by the, depending on how the NBA changes it, right? If the NBA changes, we can go right out of high school. So that's five more seasons. Let's imagine the NBA is going to change that role at some point, probably because LeBron will push for it in the, in the, in the negotiations with the CBA coming up, just mm-hmm. so he could play with his son. So it means LeBron's going to play five more years. I, the only scenario I imagine LeBron. Uh, turning it down a few notches is to play with his son, mm. <laughs> who's supposed to be really good. He's going to make it, huh? Yeah, we'll see. He'll probably be on the Nets. Hey, um, with Zion Williamson. Um, so trade deadline, that was it. Nice. Nothing else really. The, the Knicks got Emmanuel Moutier. Um, um, there was like dude, I've, weird... I had Moutier pegged. I watched him, I think, the, the first and second nights out. For some reason, I watched back-to-back. Or no, what was it? I watched a couple of games of Moody early on, and I was like, I'm worried about this guy. I'm worried about this dude's whole deal. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the joie de vivre. I think we need to be uh, skeptical of the guy who is a highly ranked recruit who's never looked good on ba- like playing basketball. Yeah. Because he played, I think, maybe a couple games at SMU, if, if at all, and then or he just didn't play at all. Then he never looked good. Has never looked good his whole career. Yeah. I just don't think that's how, how does that happen? How do how does how does one fool the scouts in that way? You know, I think because like, what he was a six five point guard in mm-hmm. high school. That's just devastating yeah. against most high schools, unless you're playing in New York City, like the elite New York City or DC mm-hmm. or LA. Like if you're playing in, I think he was playing in 
I don't even know where he was playing in high school. But guys just look like Zion Williamson, I will say, is playing against most of his dunks are against a bunch of white kids in North Carolina or South Carolina, wherever he's from. It's not like he's not just white kids. They're like babies. It's like just like us. Yeah, children. Um, No, way younger and smaller than us. We're like, come on. We would give him some. Yeah, I could take him. Yeah. So and that's also kind of why no one picked Giannis until whenever the Bucks picked him in the 10th or 11th pick is because he's playing against really crappy people. And that's what that's also sort of why the whole guys going straight out of high school is tough. Emmanuel Moutier would have been a super high pick coming out of high school. Um, and I don't, I, if I was the Nets, I would have liked him as like a, th- a fourth point guard. But beyond that, I don't think he's anything. Nice. There it is. What do you think, Mike? So now we're going to talk basketball. Ah. Cause now, well, like going forward, it's all about what this team, how this team will evolve. Cause now we know that Dinwiddie's on the team for the rest of the year. Damari Carroll is on this team for the rest of the year. All those guys are on the team. So now we don't have to worry about, are they going to get traded? Are they, is there growth for nothing? Are they just assets? They're on the team. It's amounting to something one way or another. But I do think this offseason is going to be pretty big for the Nets. Because they will have cap space more than anyone else. They will have a first-round pick and a second-round pick. They have their own pick coming next season. And we'll talk all about that as we go on. Five-star ratings. We want them. On iTunes. We need them. We need them. Um, what else? Almighty Baller, Nets Daily. Shout out to Mike. Thank you, Mike. Shout out to Brian. Thank you, Brian. Uh, um, and thank you guys. And thanks for hitting us up. Hey, we're gonna go into the intros next episode. We're gonna do a little devote a little time to the intro, the big intro thing uh, that we've been chirping about. So we've got a couple in there now. So we're gonna we're gonna reveal our hand with what's gonna happen um, and expose the big winner. So get your intros in. You you. Sound designers, you filthy animals. Five stars, five stars. Okay, see everybody. Yeah, boy.